0: So welcome to Uncharted Territory, the podcast where we discuss the extraordinary psychedelics, society, consciousness, and how the world is changing. I'm here today in the home of couples therapists and psychedelic medicine facilitator, Sarah Tilley in Southeast London. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Sarah.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, well, likewise. So I wrote a story for Vice a couple of months ago. Based on some research that's happening, Imperial, led by Tommaso Barber, looking at, yeah, how psychedelics can help folks get over their differences and live happier lives. Your work is obviously focuses on this, Sarah. So, yeah, tell me, like, what's happened in in recent years and how your practice has changed and and what what kind of stories have, have you seen unfold?
1: Yes. Well, stop me when you need to, because I could talk about this for (laughs) hours. It was something that I created. Beautiful space is something that I saw as an absolute need within the family structure and the couple dynamic. Really, I came to it because of my own needs after my own devastating divorce and my own children's psychiatric illness as a result of the divorce. Yes, I had spent 15 to 17 years in marriage guidance. So I converted my 20-year therapeutic experience, which is holistic, it's based on plant medicine and altered states, yet deeply rooted in addressing the core issues of trauma and family dynamics. And I spoke to some people in London with therapist Relations and sex therapist, systemic family therapist, psychoanalysis, and we created a program of relationship wellness. And I started with that program and I went into studios just to test and then I saw what was happening with psychedelics and I just thought I absolutely needed to go there because having been a therapist for so long, you see this continuum of recovery and then breakdown and the same, it goes round and round. And what I've experienced in the last three years, working with psilocybin in particular, so I chose psilocybin over MDMA, number one for legalities. But secondly, because of the action that happens with psilocybin, which is individuation. Six or seven years ago, I started studying with Esther Perel really as a need of my own, but also wanting to convert my practice into sustaining myself to be able to have a long-term relationship after experiencing my own childhood trauma. And it was through all of this and working with medicine that I realized the difference between MDMA, which is to facilitate deep and meaningful conversation, obviously the love drug, And actually to come into a different action, which is to cultivate a disentanglement of the couple dynamic, to come into individuation, and then to be able to bring a language of personal empowerment.
0: Mm, Well, thanks so much for sharing. I guess some people listening will be like, yeah, well, no shit. If I take MDMA or magic mushrooms, I'm going to feel more affectionate towards my partner. But I guess it's not as simple as that. It's about like over the longer term and not needing or or not even wanting to, to trip every day or every week or even every month. But yeah, well, what, what have you, you seen? What's most effective and, and what kind of transformations have you seen in, in people's relationships?
1: I've seen the most astonishing transformations that makes me really grateful to be part of the process. I've had that all a long way, but what I'm seeing now is absolutely acute change dramatic adoption of a lifestyle and a new life so basically a reset a a kind of pulling out of old tracks and resetting into new tracks the program that i created is i did months and months of research into how i was going to handle this so we adopted the maps protocol of it's about 19 hours 18 to 20 hours of um screening case taking preparation medicine day and then integration afterwards so it takes about three months sometimes it can be stretched out into longer but essentially there's a direction throughout the whole process uh, and wagner actually she we have one of her quotes on our website which is you know the action of psychedelics it speeds up whatever is going to happen Fortunately which is a lovely part of my story is that couples want to heal. Uh you know occasionally over I've worked with about 30 couples in the last year is that there is a breakdown there is a coming apart but I want to add in there that it is conscious uncoupling. So in effect we are creating the conscious couple.
0: Yeah and I heard stories through my research for this piece about people being able to kind of see their own wounding, like see each other and understand their inherited family patterns and the real kind of drivers of their behavior and went from having sex only a couple of times a year to having, yeah, really beautiful and more thriving sex life and affection between them. But I guess psychedelics allow one to... Yeah, see, See. have greater clarity. So I imagine I imagine. In, in some cases, actually, it might hasten a, br- a breakup.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's like a magnifying glass on so much of the relationship. It accelerates whatever process you're in. So, for example, if a couple has come apart, they're sleeping in separate bedrooms, they haven't had sex for seven years, for example. Actually, one of the things that has happened in this particular case was this distinction of looking at each other over, across the room, both of them in, within the trip, you know, really able to acknowledge their differences, yet also the shift in priority, that they, sex isn't a priority, that they instead are putting the children first and they continue to want to be together because of the children. For the couples that are coming apart, actually, it's, it's the value of the therapist that I can lean in and identify what's happening with the body language. What is happening when the, you know, the guard is down and I can ask particular real questions that follow the line of inquiry through there. A lot of the couples that break down, actually, I have to say have been on the basis that there's an unsustainability financially. There's been an over promising from the very beginning and this continual disappointment, you know, where is it, what's happening, I thought you were all of this. You know, it's it's a very distinct thing actually that distinguishes itself within the experience of psychedelics.
0: Yeah, I guess when folks are tripping and at least after that maybe veil where where folks have like a, not alter ego, but like another mask, whether that's the mask that they're more financially able than, than actually in reality or, or anything else. Just those masks slip, I suppose. But I'm interested, like, how, how integral is, is sex to, to a healthy relationship? Can, can, can people have a healthy relationship w- without sex? Is it fundamental to, to the human condition or, or, or is it something that, yeah, so long as there's other means to connect and communicate and to share, you know, can, can be kind of put to the side and, and still have a kind of perfectly functioning relationship
1: that's such a great question because it's such a potent topic, you know, how, what is sexual function within the relationship? And I actually realized decades ago. And so I cultivated my practice that, you know, when you can get to that point of being able to talk about sex within the relationship, it's such a magnifying expression of what is going on in the relationship. Can You have a beautiful and healthy and soulful relationship without sex. You know, you have to ask, what is sex? You know, is it intimacy? Through all the work that I've done and a particular focus on sex and intimacy, I had to coin and start to coin this phrase sex 2.0. I redefined, you know, an old relationship on uh, tracks and grooves that have gone too deep that they can't get out of psychedelics brings them out of it and sets them on fresh tracks and that's relationship 2.0 we can do the same thing with sex 2.0 and there's a definition of this and it is to continue to, to set yourselves on new tracks with intimacy that is not the kind of thing you did in your 20s when you were drunk and you were too inhibited to be actually have these intimate conversations around wants, needs desires and arousal and what's the difference with all of that is, you know, these beautiful, um, interim conversations as mature adults that we have before you just dive in. So sex 2.0 has given us a new language an expression that, uh, one of the exercises I might give for couples is to hug for 12 seconds a day in there. You start to produce oxytocin and a bonding hormone between the two of them, a couple that's come apart that when we're looking at the life cycle of a long-term relationship, there's all these opportunities for coming apart. You know, new parents often end up in separate beds, going through midlife crisis or menopause, often, you know, drifting away from this intimate connection because of how she feels about her body, um, how he feels about uh, being at midlife. Um, And then kind of coming into what I call the third quarter, this this healthy stage between 50 and 75, in each one of these decades, there's a new opportunity for redefining sex Mm 2.0. I
0: I remember I was having, well, we were having issues, my ex-girlfriend and I, a couple of years ago. And so we, we went to her family home, which was empty at the time, and we took LSD and tried to do some art therapy and kind of conscious relating stuff and it really didn't work like the LSD was affecting my stomach and I just got like really kind of like gassy and yeah it really didn't didn't flow um but since then I found that with a with a friend a a lover 2cb is a really really amazing compound um to kind of I don't know set the crucible of, of the explorative sexual experience I know you said you kind of chose psilocybin partly because you're able to use it in, in Holland legally and that maybe MDMA sometimes, um, sparks a more individual kind of process, even though it's a, a social drug or psychedelic. What's your, um, drug of choice for, for sex?
1: Mm. Uh, cannabis. Cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it takes me places where I can get into a state of ecstatic sex. It is, I'm out and I'm beyond myself. I'm deeply connected with my partner. You know, I'm totally into the physical sensation, yet there is a mental bond, an energetic bonding there. And also it doesn't, you know, you can you know, have a joint and there you are two, two hours later and you're back to normal, which is, is good for me. If I want to do, uh, you know, a longer session with ceremony and ritual, which is what I cultivate with couples that I work with, it's one of the key things uh, within our 14-module program, ceremony and ritual. It is lighting candles. It is putting on incense. It's, uh, you know, a playlist. It is sitting in front of each other on cushions and uh, starting the entrainment process of breathing. It is putting your hand on the other's heart. And just waiting and listening and coming into that physical sensation, you know, that kind of sensual experience can take an afternoon or a whole evening and it's absolutely amazing to use these drugs to enhance that experience, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and earlier you you were saying you're heading off to Holland to do some in-person therapy with with ceremony. So how does it kind of look? Can you give us a bit more of an insight into... What happens when you step into this windmill with this couple and, and stay for, I don't know, four or five days or, or, or however long? What, what, does that, what does that whole um, container look like? This
1: is a couple that I'm working with currently. I just kind of started to onboard them, but they are going to be coming to the windmill. They're coming from the States. So they, they're having a, you know, having a whole European experience, which is absolutely delightful, not just for them as individuals, but for their relationship to take it to a new level, I stay in a separate place. So they have a completely private space. So I'll arrive at their place the night before and we will do meditation together. Once again, we're looking at addressing their intention, their individual intentions for the medicine, but also their couple intention, their relationship intention. I'll do a heart opening ceremony there. I will play specific music, we'll do breath work, um, all of this has being done online, so here we are doing it in person, so it's much more potent. Then the next day, the medicine day is, is between 10 and 6, and once again, I come to them. You know, the first thing I do is set up the environment, and it's music, it's candles, bringing these elements that we know convert energy into a beautiful environment. We're not called beautiful space for nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone applies their own meaning to beautiful space. But it really is, for, for our definition, it's where desire lives between two people. So there's a real distinction at, at this time. Then they take the medicine, we prepare it. A kind of, it's a wonderful moment of really handling the truffles, breaking it down, making it into a paste, drinking it. I'm an invitee into the relationship at this stage. And really, I'm helping those two to understand a new language of relating with each other. They, they trip separately. One's on a bed. One might be on a sofa. Um, they go into their own playlists. They've chosen it. it might not be the same as the other uh, behind a blindfold. And, you know, occasionally the other will lift up the blindfold and look at the other and, you know, check in. How are you doing if someone might be crying? Or particularly having a difficult time, the other might, you know, across the room and hug them, embrace them. It's such a a potent, vulnerable time, and then at the end of that kind of four to five hour trip, we'll come together. And what we do is is follow Rosin Watts's ACE methods, um, which is to go down and, and find out, embody what happens. What? Where did you go? Who did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? You know, alivening a- the senses. And creating a story for each of them, the vulnerability of what happens. And then I come back the next day for integration one, which is to create the plan out of the story.
0: Well, I know where to come if I ever hit a um, sticky situation with with any future partners. Because you told me before, like almost all of the couples who who go into therapy with you are on on the brink of separation and divorce. But the vast majority then stay together, although some, for some also it kind of hastens their breakup. How does this kind of compare with like the previous modalities? I mean, I know you still use use some of these holistic methods or neo shaman (laughs) ways, but yeah, how how does how does the effectiveness compare?
1: Yeah, um, you know, we worked out these statistics really for this small window that I've been working deeply with this medicine and with our program. It's about eighty five percent of my couples are successfully resetting their relationship. So it's a very high mark. When you look at the cost of divorce, which without an acrimonious end, you know, the average cost is £14,500. Pounds. You can't put a price on restarting your relationship in a different way, renegotiating the terms of being together. Um, so that's what happens. You know, compared to the old modality, which is this traditional method of arguing in front of the uh, the therapist who's right, who's what wrong, and the other' looking for validation, what we have now is, you know, the classic closing of the default network, that ego that has such a prominent uh, position when two people are fighting and wanting to be right. Is put to one side for a moment. There's a a wonderful window and I'd say that window is, okay, it's specifically when they are in the trip, but there's an afterglow for two weeks after, you know, I would say 99% of couples are able to experience that window of relearning. And from there, you know, deep encouragement for me to follow the plan that they have made and accountability so you can't actually compare this to a whole new type of uh, couples therapy and relationship and sexual wellness.
0: Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like if folks are together for 30, 40 years and they've never even looked at their own shit, mm. eventually those, let's say like shadow aspects that like snappiness, irritation will, will just, yeah, it's, it's gonna come up. But I mean, it's not to say that traditional couples therapy is not effective i mean I've, i think it has relatively high rates of of success
1: um i can't actually remember the uh rate of success for couples therapy i'm sure i have it somewhere um but we know that you know 50 percent of couples are getting divorced yeah the majority of those will have tried couples therapy mm-hmm. so you know that's a huge statistic and the effect is economic um, it is uh, wide reaching for mental health issues for especially for the children, children who are product of parental separation and divorce. Um, they go on into lower paid jobs, there's a huge disruption, and actually, that is the problem that beautiful space is solving within society. It is childhood trauma from parental separation. I think it's a huge problem, and most people I speak with agree. But it's not just couples who have been together for, you know, certain, it's it's new couples. You know, when you look at this um, specific uh, phase, there's an end of a phase and the beginning of a new one, which is young parenting. I work with young parents who have tried parenting. They might have a young child and it's not going how they want it to go, yet they know they want to have a second child. They want to keep conceive consciously. Conscious conception is a fantastic term, which is starting to bubble up to the surface for how do we yeah, energetically and holistically approach all of this.
0: And yeah, like culture is changing, like things happen much quicker in, in society. And we're getting used to this kind of get it now culture and dating app culture and I don't know, people are having more hookups than they did now before, but obviously the church plays a far, far smaller role. You'd
1: think that, but actually, you know, when we're looking at generational trauma, which is one of the things we're dealing with within this uh, psychedelic assisted couple therapy, generational trauma is the inclusivity of religion that our parents believed in. It's the culture that we were born into. It's the era that we're born into. So we're looking at disrupting all of that and absolutely premises, premise of everything that we're doing is help bringing people into awareness of the modern relationship.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, it's, it's kind of having a moment right now, like not just this Vice article I did, but there's been pieces in in Time magazine and elsewhere. I heard that Louis Ferrou might be working on a documentary on on the whole topic. And as we mentioned, Tommaso spoke at the MAPS conference last week in Denver, and you'll be at the the site um spotlight symposium symposium, being pardon in London in a fortnight, so there's clearly like a big big interest in this that's riding on the coattails, I suppose, of the wider psychedelic revolution.
1: yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting point because both you and I've been in Denver for the Maps conference and you know coming from Europe and the u k whereas just a little nuggets really that's happening. And having that more bird's eye view of what's happening within the psychedelic movement where beautiful space is placed, I couldn't be happier, actually. That we're here for the long haul, we're disrupting society. I have the, the validation from Imperial College, from many, many other therapists who are in universities, that it's an it's a absolutely convincing and, and valuable way... And we're looking at triple bottom line, that's social, economic, and societal in sustainable medicine. Um, it's an absolutely validated way to use psychedelics within society, which is couple therapy with psilocybin in particular.
0: Yeah, I mean, things are moving much quicker in, in the States, which is interesting as it's kind of been the, the lead propagator of this disastrous war on drugs. But yeah, to, to be there in Denver was was a surreal experience to, yeah, connect with folks from many different walks of life and, yeah, really see the palpable enthusiasm and, and hope that there is for psychedelics to change society for the better. I, I wonder, like, are your clients typically American or, or European? Because, yeah, it does, it does seem that Americans especially are a lot more kind of open to these sorts of experiences than perhaps Britain's?
1: I think there is more awareness in America, Um, yet at the same time, there are pockets of awareness in the Netherlands, absolutely, you know, it's legal there, microdosing is a very big part of the lifestyle, yet, uh, you know, every cab I take, I will ask the cab driver, have you heard of psychedelics, you know, that's my field research. And I would say the majority have said, no, um, that's in Europe, that's in the UK. So, you know, our work is uh, ahead of us. There's still loads to be done and it is absolutely, I'm a great believer in community work.
0: Yeah. I did wonder, like it struck me. These, these posters of Rick Doblin at the maps conference kind of saying the psychedelic revolution needs you. In this kind of like pop arty style, reminiscent of the, your country needs you posters during the war to get, get people involved in the war effort. I'm not, I'm not so sure this is a war effort, although, although some people would, would disagree and have said, for instance, that they've seen veterans on the verge of suicide, smoke five MEO DMT or take Ibogaine. And it's just, you know, overnight saved their lives. But do you think all couples that are facing issues that haven't been solved through traditional couples therapy, should, should they trip together?
1: Um, I was tripping one time and the title of my book came to me. I have to modify things, of course, but it is why everyone should try psychedelics. I believe, you know, I from, since a child, I had this natural ability to go into altered state. It was part of my childhood trauma to disassociate from the very place that I was in. And it is mindfulness. I created this thing called psychedelic mindfulness, which is really it's breathwork. And then it's going on a visual journey and allowing yourself to be taken. That's the very first practice for coming into the psychedelics realm. It is kind of bringing the word psychedelic into the everyday conversation. You know, that's going to take a generation. So you know that's 25 to 30 years we're looking at before we really are you know it's acceptable but yes i do i think that everyone should try psychedelics
0: i mean some people would say though that certain people have such fragile minds that having a potentially kind of earth shattering experience especially if they don't have the the time and space for proper integration afterwards could actually be detrimental.
1: Absolutely. And even when I'm doing psychedelic mindfulness last year at wilderness festival, and I've also done it at Soho house as evening, um, you know, events, you know, people will come up to me afterwards and say, I went somewhere, you know, that's kind of thing that you said, meeting someone, they're here to have a conversation with you. That is very triggering. I'm speaking to someone in Denver about their apparatus, you know, their VR concept. Um, and actually, I think that all of this should start in education, you know, in children's education, understanding the emotions, um, being able to be in your body and know what you're feeling. A, part, a big part of the work that I'm doing is uh, helping men understand uh, the, the emotional wheel, so what they're feeling, and to be able to give it a term. So when I say everyone should should try psychedelics, I you know I'm an educator. I've been working in education for 30 years. It is it needs to start earlier than where we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, I, to play to play devil's advocate, yeah. I, I suppose any psychedelic therapist would say that everyone needs to take. Psychedelics.
1: Okay. But if you're in my workshops, you'll also hear me say that psychedelics aren't suitable for everyone and not everyone should be taking them. Um, So yeah, some people are too sensitive. And uh, I think that the risk of what the field that we are in uh, should be spoken about more and actually, you know, I called a meeting when we were in Denver to actually find out who's on the same page as me. Um, looking at ri- risk ethics and how to make sure that this is a safe medicine as it as it comes into culture,
0: for sure. And it's interesting, like couples therapy has actually been at the at the root, I guess, of of the initial psychedelic um, renaissance. Because when Shulgin synthesized MDMA, some of the earliest kind of public facing sessions, I believe, were Yeah, couples therapy sessions
1: it's wonderful that we have that work and you know it gives us such a rich body of work for us to start with so you know mdma there's a place for that you know it's very interesting there was also a talk in denver for i think it was from i can't remember who from imperial but it was you know how are we doing with all these drugs in society what are the most common drugs you know how does cocaine Sit alongside MDMA what, what's what are people buying I was astonished to hear one in three uh, people in the UK are taking recreational drugs you know it's not going away it's only getting louder you know we can go to our pharmacy and we can buy CBD um, you know it's it's important that uh, we understand the history of this we understand the research that's what we have from uh, the shogun's and all of that work, I listen to it, I study it. Um, the body, huge body of work, I've taken all of that and included it into my program.
0: Yeah, and I, I went to the sex and psychedelics talk in Denver and some of the panelists who who were all women were saying like, yeah, society and their own um, experiences has just led them to have these kind of walls up. And so even when they're with like a loving partner with, with whom they really want to surrender and kind of consummate their relationship they they really struggle but it is through the conscious use of psychedelics that just allows them to just be and let go
1: and in there we're talking about sexual shame and about yeah we still have this it's huge but yet here we are talking on a podcast about sexual shame um you know uh, even 20 years ago uh, i wouldn't have been doing this even though I was working with shame and sexual shame, you know, that we are moving into an era where boundaries have changed who we are as individuals. You know, we live in a non-binary world. All of that gives us a whole new language to work with.
0: And I guess like sex is the kind of original altered state. And when we can weave these states for kind of healing and pleasure, not necessarily even through the use of, of psychedelics, but like breath work and different kinds of, relating exercises and eye gazing we can we can go so much deeper than you know a quick little two minute um missionary session
1: (laughs) and that is uh really important to remember you know if you kind of look at my work I'm very much one of those people who is uh, cultivate a practice first and then add psychedelics to it you know, we can achieve, that's that's why I started uh, Psychedelic Mindfulness online as an online community in lockdown. Um, I wanted people and the society to understand you can achieve all of this without taking a drug. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm actually doing a retreat in late August uh, on uh, altered states and couples, um, just bringing in breathwork. I'm hoping to do Shabari as well you know this absolutely phenomenal sensual experience with your partner when there's such close contact and you know the the sound of the rope against the skin you know tension the pulling just these real kind of sensory experiences if you're in your body create an altered state so I'm very 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 excited about doing that
0: yeah i did i did a couple of shibari sessions actually not in a sexual context mm-hmm. Just in the, in a space, I guess, to be tied up and kind of enter a meditative state without really any effort. Like I remember my like one one of the occasions, my hands were like behind my back, and I, I literally couldn't move. I was I was like rooted to the ground, and I could just close my eyes and just enter this yeah delicious state of presence. And then when when the facilitator did kind of sensually rub the rope against against my cheek, yeah, I did like. Feel something, but I think later I, I literally just fell asleep.
1: There we go. That's it. Wow. I mean, so well described. You know, when you come into your body, you actually realize what it is you're holding, and probably exhaustion was one of the places that you were, you know, when you kind of relax enough in the right company. Yet at the same time, you know, the language that you're using, they're delicious. When we come into a delicious state, you know, there's dopamine. This is the altered state. There is arousal. You know, which one comes first, arousal or desire? Of course, there's desire. That took you to the shibari class. And then the arousal of dopamine. That's not a sexual word. This is the de- absolute definition of sex 2.0. Well,
0: actually, we, it was Christmas Eve and we were in Mexico and we went on like a whale and dolphin watching tour. And on, on, on the boat, I met like a friend of a friend I didn't even know what Shibari was, I mean she kind of invited me to like come up to her place afterwards, so naively i I went up there and yeah for, for free, she gave me this like full session, she wanted to like try a few new like ties out, they call it, and then like a few weeks later i I, I paid for a session because yeah I entered such such a yeah lovely and and fascinating yeah altered and meditative and and calm state, but I, I imagine like. If if folks are taking psychedelics and doing the Shibari, that there's um there's gonna be have to have to be some very clear boundaries set out before and maybe maybe try not to take too much.
1: So I haven't and I don't think I would be at this stage in my career working with Shibari and giving psychedelics at the same time.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I suspected. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, especially with people who don't know each other. Um, But one of the key things I do work with is consent and the wheel of consent. So I've trained with the wheel of consent and it's a beautiful language once again, to come into not just these intimate places, but you know, everywhere that we come to and to have a practice partner and that's what you had the practice partner and that's where this overspill into modern relationships is knowing where your boundaries are knowing what your terms of uh, agreement are and then uh, developing a practice partner is with a practice partner is absolutely wonderful existence
0: mm mm-hmm. but i do know that there are some certain sex parties in london where everyone trips like everyone takes lsd or, or something i've i've never never been, but i've I've heard about them they, they sound they sound pretty pretty wild
1: I do know the club scene in London, and there is a lot of recreational uh drug taking there um, there uh, are also a lot of sober people in there as well, so there's a mix um you know when it's combined with for example, kink or fetish, uh which you know I know those clubs very well myself. It is uh, all about the safe container out of uh, these mainstream clubs in London. Some of them are very underground, very, very private as well. You know, uh, one of the uh, sexual awakening moments that's happened in our lifetime is killing kittens. Um, You know, it's putting women first. It's giving them the power. You know, a man isn't allowed to approach her unless she has approached him first. That's uh, one of the rules of engagement. It's the same in any of these clubs, Club Verboten, Fox and Badge, Torture Garden. Women are in their uh, element and in their power in these places. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm just reflecting now on how it seems that there's just a wider piece here about sexual liberation. And it's not necessarily through psychedelics, but psychedelics is playing an important role in, in this whole kind of shift.
1: Absolutely. That's what I called the meeting on in Denver was sex and psychedelics as many of us as practitioners. And it's really important for me that we all come together. You know, we know we exist, number one, within the space. But, uh, you know, it, it, is a, it is a thing which we're going to see more of. That's what I'm taking to psych symposium, sex and psychedelics. You know, we are in an era where women are becoming sexually empowered and men are feeling vulnerable. And, you know, when you have a vulnerable man, sex is not so easy. Um, so it is, uh, it all comes to communication skills and ability to be able to feel safe with each other.
0: Yeah, and just lastly, I, I remember you saying that often, or most often, the problem is, is the man isn't prepared to change. Mm. Why are men more reluctant to change than, than women, if, if I can, if I can yeah. be so naive to ask?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a generational thing. So I would say when I work with men in their, you know, late 20s, 30s, even early 40s, there is an open-heartedness. Yet it is. When we get beyond that, kind of mid-40s, definitely into 50s and 60s and 70s, I've worked with men in their 70s. There's a real rigidness to hold on to their place in the world because, you know, it means so much within the patriarchal construct. Within there, we're looking at women who don't want just to be at home looking after the kids or to have sex without uh, pleasure and indeed pain. You know, they're not prepared to have sex anymore because economically they don't need to stick with someone who, uh, you know, and they can, you know, live their own life freely and not put up with the stuff that women in the 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, there's decades that, and now women are in a completely different place.
0: And I guess maybe like it's more likely that the woman ends up just not finding the man sexy anymore. And there's this thing. It's kind of weird to consider, but yeah, women generally find it easier to have sex with people than men. At whatever age, so there's probably like a clinginess mm-hmm. for the man, especially like late, later in life, right? even even if they're perhaps not even having sex. Uh,
1: absolutely. I mean, when you there are statistics around women of menopause, which is there's uh, an element of number one, they expect to have great sex. Uh, you know Peggy Kleinplatz's book Magnificent Sex," uh, based on research of I can't remember how many couples, um, but the outcome was that best sex for women is at 54. Um, you know, they know themselves, they feel confident in there, but also, you know, women also turn to bisexuality by curiosity. That's something that happens at menopause. Um, in there also is that women, you know, they, uh, they know now that, uh, their orgasm comes first.
0: Well, that's a beautiful, um, (laughs) note to, to leave it on unless you have any, any final thoughts.
1: just we're in the early stages of psychedelic healthcare. There's a huge focus on veterans because, of course, it's so needed there. You know what's going on in the home and suicidality. But when looking at that mental health care crisis, when we look at couples and relationships, that's kind of been excluded from psychiatric um, diagnosis. There is no diagnosis currently for a bad relationship. And actually, I'm now talking with people, how can we change that? What would that word be? I did come up with something the other day. I need to go back to my notes. What is the diagnosis of a bad relationship and it needs to be included in the healthcare system?
0: And psychedelics, can can it cure erectile dysfunction?
1: Um, It can um, definitely work with low confidence, fear of failure, absolutely, which is a key part of erectile dysfunction. Um, Changing the whole mindset, being a fit a uh, person who can have more stamina absolutely um i do focus on that with uh, couples you know the pressure for having to keep an erection because of the want. you know the fear of disappointing how all of that gets addressed in my work here